You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Welcome to the Secrets of Analytical Leaders. My name is Wayne Eckerson. We're going to tackle a perennial pain point for data analytics leaders, how to efficiently and cost-effectively acquire and integrate external data. The rise of machine learning has placed a premium on finding new sources of data to fuel predictive models. But acquiring external data is often expensive, and many data sets are rife with errors and difficult to combine with internal data. But that should change in 2020. In fact, I predict that next year is the year of the data marketplace, where it will be as easy for data teams to find, buy, and use external data as it is for individuals to buy music on iTunes. To help us understand the scale, scope, and dimensions of emerging data marketplaces is Justin Langseth, one of the visionaries in our space. Justin is a serial entrepreneur. He was the technical founder and CEO or CTO of five data startups, Clarivue, Zoom Data, Clarabridge, Strategy.com, and Agaru. He holds 24 patents and was an early employee in MicroStrategy. Justin recognized the potential for data marketplaces and was about to start another company to capitalize on the trend when Snowflake convinced him to come on board to launch its data exchange, an early data marketplace. Justin is now busy securing data providers and enterprises to participate in the Snowflake data exchange. As such, he has an inside perspective on the benefits, challenges, and industry trends for data marketplaces. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hey, thanks, Wayne. It's awesome to be here. Well, terrific. Let's uh, dive right in. Let's start at the beginning for our listeners who don't know what exactly is a data marketplace. Yeah, I mean, a data marketplace is effectively uh, an app store for data. Uh, We think of it as a place people can go and browse and discover data and then make it easy for them to acquire it and bring it into their data platform so they can join it together with their data and and make use of it. And uh, if people have been buying and selling data for almost 100 years now. And uh, it's interesting that just now uh, we're in a place where this marketplace is starting to be kind of streamlined and uh, brought together in this way. So I didn't realize we've been uh, buying external data for 100 years. You'll have to explain that, but also why it's been so hard up until now. Yeah, originally it was it was technical issues, like the original data being bought and sold was you know on Wall Street as people were starting to sell feeds of, of stock quote and price data. And before that, you know, commodity prices were information that people wanted to get access to as quickly as possible. So um, yeah, literally about a, about 100 years ago, uh, the first companies started selling data, some of whom are still in business and some of whom we're working with today. And originally, just transporting this the signal of the data was over ticker lines. So it was often very challenging to transmit the information, and but that's where it all really started. And as the years progressed, the technology got a bit easier. And I joke a lot about mailing floppy disks and FedExing floppy disks around, but literally that was kind of the state of the art 30 years ago. And it's gotten easier with FTP and with cloud storage and with you know even email in some cases, but it really hasn't gotten to the crux of the marketplace itself in terms of making it easier for people to buy and and sell and, and discover and utilize data. So what's going to change to, to make it uh, easier to do all that that you just mentioned? Yeah, like well, with most things in the world right now, the shift to the cloud is the underpinnings of it. So as companies have been migrating their entire computing stacks, as well as the data stacks, and, and more recently data warehouses to the cloud, 
much all companies' data is living in some cloud platform. Snowflake you know, works on top of Amazon, on top of Azure, and on top of Google. And most companies have picked one or more of those as their place where all their data and compute is going to happen. So once data is in the cloud, it makes it a lot easier to share it and transmit it and store it and join it together with other data. And Snowflake was really interesting to me was that it operates as basically a multi-tenant data fabric or data layer where people can very, very easily share and interchange data with each other. And that's what I saw as kind of something, something unique that really I saw as being able to kind of build this kind of data marketplace layer on top of. Yeah, it seems like the multi-tenancy in the cloud is the key to, to making this sharing easy. Essentially, if everyone's in the cloud running on the same platform, you just make someone you want to share information with a tenant. And that's pretty easy to do. Do I have that right? Yeah, it's even easier than that to some extent. If you are okay with sending people copies of data, much the way all data exchanging has worked for 100 years, is one party has the data and makes a copy of it and transmits a copy to the other party who then takes the copy and does stuff with it. So that can be done on the cloud. You can write data to a S3 bucket or to an Azure blob file, and you can give access to that file or send that file to another party. And if they're on the same cloud platform, that's that's relatively easy, but that still then has each party with its own copy of the data. And so what rises is questions about how do I make copies different for different parties? How do I keep the data in, in sync with the other copy? Because as soon as I make a copy and send it to somebody, it's kind of definitionally out of, out of sync with the original. If I And then whenever there's copies of data, there's opportunities for data breaches, data theft, misdirection, or just simply data missing pieces or duplicating pieces. And so the cloud fabric underneath has made it easy for people to kind of just more easily replicate what they've been doing before. But what the multi-tenant data layer adds is the ability to have effectively a global metadata across that, which allows for, instead of files being transmitted, allows for people to kind of exchange secure pointers to their data to other people and make slices of their data that stays in their data system accessible directly to other people so that they're all looking at the same set of data. And that's kind of the layer that's added by having this global metadata layer, not just a multi-tenant kind of cloud infrastructure. Right. So with the cloud and multi-tenancy, you never have to copy and, and move data. You just simply uh, allow users to point to it, and then you can determine through filters exactly what part uh, or all of that data they can see, right, and, and access. Yep, and, and people have done this in the, in the past, over the last 30 years, by granting user access to their databases to other parties. So this concept isn't entirely new. You could always create a user on your database and give it to another party and set up role-based access control to right. you know have that person see different tables and stuff. But the problem for the, the owner of that database is that now you have you know one or maybe hundreds or thousands of new users on your database. So you have to provision them and you have to you know power them and pay for the database capacity to, to respond to their queries. And as all of us know in data warehousing, that can be a non-trivial exercise to support a thousand concurrent users and quite expensive and challenging. So that's always been kind of a path, but where these multi-tenant data fabrics start to provide an advantage is that each party can effectively bring their own compute power, but leverage a shared, a shared underlying data structure and data infrastructure. 
where if one party is querying your data that you've granted them access to, it, it doesn't impact at all your own ability or your own your own cost to query your own data. So they're paying for their own compute to access and view your data. Right, now, right. So exactly. that assumes that they're on the same platform. Like, for instance, they're on Snowflake, but it may not work if they're on, you know, Azure SQL Data Warehouse, or, or would it? Uh, I mean, each of the cloud data platforms has, you know, some ability to do some of this. Uh, I think the underlying cloud platforms themselves have, have basically made this possible because like in the Amazon stack, S3 is a, it's a shared file fabric effectively. And two different companies could boot up EC2 nodes running whatever software to access a single S3 bucket with some of the same properties that I just described. Things like Snowflake add on top of that is the SQL speaking metadata driven data layer. The ability to not just share files with bring your own compute, but to be able to do SQL queries with bring your own compute and have a shared understanding of metadata and have a shared security model to govern who can see what. And so that's kind of the, the additional layer on top that really drew me to, to Snowflake. Right. So I didn't realize people were sharing S3 buckets. Is that commonplace? Uh, it's unfortunately a little too commonplace. Most of the, you know, a lot of data breaches that we've seen have been uh, if you kind of drill down into the root cause of them, oftentimes it's some kind of cloud bucket that's been misconfigured or left too wide open, you know, unintentionally. People have been able to kind of just stumble across cloud buckets full of data. Um, so, you know, that's because that any cloud bucket, whether it's S3 or anything, generally has a URI, universal resource indicator, basically a URL to a file. And if you know that URI, if the bucket is not configured properly, pretty much, you know, anyone in the world can just read it. So obviously that's not the best practice for configuring security of cloud buckets, but there's been enough misconfiguration happening that it's led to a series of data leaks. And that's why the control plane of having a common understanding of metadata, what is in each table to get up to data warehousing speak, right? And then what is each column and and who am I granting access to and what columns and tables and maybe even rows am I specifically, even cells am I granting access to? Uh, it makes it much more kind of specific about who I'm sharing with and what I'm granting access to uh, than if I'm just writing a file and sharing access to a file. Right. So much more granular security uh, instead of just opening the whole thing up for for access. Granular and, and revocable. If I want to change the columns I'm sharing with somebody, I can just write an alter alter statement in SQL and, and change that immediately. And since we're sharing a same database in this kind of structure, the other party immediately sees a new column or a, or a column that's gone or new rows or fewer rows when they refresh their dashboard because they don't have a separate copy. And this is really useful for PII and for GDPR and things like that, where if you have a right to be forgotten request and you have to delete a row about a person, like ideally you want to delete that from one place. And, and actually today, some people have to send like physical letters in the mail to all the other companies they've sent files to containing that record and asking them to remove the record. And so that's, you know, re reason enough to kind of try to keep it all in one place. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that, that's interesting. Um, so when I talk to clients about using external data, uh, one, there's a lot of interest, in, especially in certain industries like insurance uh, or any industry that's trying to build robust analytic models. But the big challenge is not finding data. That's pretty easy. There are a lot of data providers out there. There's a lot of open data out there. I think there are two issues. One is evaluating the, the value of that data and whether it's worth the price if it's uh, commercial data. And two, and perhaps most importantly, is integrating that data with your own data 
that seems to be where the pain points are. Um, and of course, a lot of companies don't do this in a centralized, systematic way. You know, every business unit is kind of buying their own data and they're buying duplicate data sets. And a lot find that those data sets are full of errors, let alone, you know, different formats that have to be reworked and reintegrated. So to me, these seem to be the big pain points. And, you know, just providing a marketplace where it's easy to find stuff, that's great, you know, to make it as easy as buying stuff on Amazon or whatever. But how do you solve those, you know, real deep problems of value, cost, and especially integration? Yeah, and, and all those things have been so hard and so painful that most companies have just not dealt with it unless they really had to for some reason. Like you can't be a brokerage firm if you don't have a stock price feed. Some uh, some industries just you know had to almost forced into getting external data um, and had to plow through all those those pain points. And so really, a lot of external data is still really thought of that way. It's extremely hard and costly and, and challenging to bring it in and to align it to their own data. But people are generally cognizant that it can be extremely valuable. Like the most sophisticated buyers and sellers of data today, some of them are in the hedge fund space. And they realize that if they can source interesting data and, as you mentioned, merge it together with their existing uh, data and their, their models that they've built on data, they can actually you know trade stocks or other things in a way that makes money for them. So it really comes down to you know, how hard is it and can we make it easier across all those stages you integrated? And then also, can we kind of make you know, what is the motivation for people to, to do it? And some of the more sophisticated people, the motivation is clear, but for the, everybody kind of in the, the middle uh, who just are, you know, just getting to the point where they have their own data under control with a data warehouse after us all talking to them about this for a long time, uh, you know, they're starting to open their eyes to the external data world and starting to realize there's probably some, some value, especially as they start to move into building AI models on top of data. Uh, because in AI, you can kind of add new data underneath a model and see if it boosts the model um, without making really kind of a, a qualitative judgment on it. Like either this inbound data history feed either makes the model better or it doesn't. In a lot of cases, you can measure that quantitatively. So I think a lot of it is making it just easier. And then the other side is how to measure the value. I think the, the AI and machine learning place is where it's kind of almost easiest to, to measure the oh, value. That's why hedge funds are big users of external data, right? They're just feeding these new data sources into their models to get a little bit more advantage in terms of the accuracy of their models, right? Yeah. Basically, they're trying to predict future cash flows. Like any, if you know before somebody else does that an industry or a product or a business or a company or a competitor to a company is going to be making more money versus less, you can trade or, or short a, uh, a security, even if it's not of the company itself, but of a, a similar company or of a company. So yeah, they're, they're building basically huge models of, of the world and not just the world, not the world in general, but basically of all, all cash flows, because that's what really what drives, drives yeah, the world. So they're the ones right. buying these satellite images of uh, cars and parking lots outside, you know, major warehouses or, <laughs> or stores, right? That's the classical example of alternative data, as it's called. And yeah, that was one of the early ones. And, but the problem is now anyone can buy those, those satellite images and everybody in the industry has the technology to count how many cars are in the parking lot and the math to figure out that if there's more cars in the parking lot than fewer on Black Friday, like they're going to make more versus less in, in a month or two. Um, that's, you know, it's pretty simple math. So uh, the problem with some of this data from the provider's perspective is if you've gone out of your way to like source this satellite data and build all this stuff and sell it to people, as soon as you sell it to the second and third 
party, the value of the data for all the parties goes down. So uh, it's kind of an interesting counter incentive as well on the supply side. <laughs> uh, we'll have to talk about the state of data providers then, if that's the case. The more the more supply of data you provide, the the less you can make out, off of it. That seems like a self constraining model <laughs> there. Well, supply and demand, at the, and that's where the data. That's why we call it a data exchange, is because um, you know a data marketplace would be a place where you can just sell sell a, a commodity and not really kind of haggle over the price of it. But since data, you know, people call it the new oil and it has some oil-like quantities and it has some very non-oil-like qualities. And you can use data over and over and over again, whereas oil, each, each bucket of it, you can only burn it once. Um, and that's, you, you think that's a positive for data versus oil, but actually it's, it's not because uh, you can't ever prove that the, the data has been used once and destroyed. Therefore, it's hard to price it at a premium. Uh, because you don't necessarily, you can't prove that nobody else has this data um, unless you hoard it, unless you collect it yourself and hoard it very carefully, uh, which is what a lot of the world is, has been doing. It's unclear that more data equals uh, higher higher price. So for the data. you foresee these data marketplaces uh, being more like exchanges because the data providers are really going to uh, parse out their data very selectively. In other words, you you just can't go in and buy any data you want. Is that because of this pricing phenomenon? Is that true? Well, if you're a provider of data, then it's a supply and demand situation. So if, if you can prove, like say you're an artist and you make a, a painting, if you can prove that you've only made this painting once and you're not going to make 20 of them, like that one copy is going to cost more. Or if you decide you want to make 100 prints of something, you can number one to 100 and then people you know, trust that you didn't actually make 200. So the same thing is going to apply to data. Like if this data is so unique that Nobody else has it, and it has some signal that impacts the future of the world of some price of something. And I can prove that I haven't given it to everybody else. Then it's valuable. You know that's why we like the word exchange because to really kind of get the full value out of data, if you if you have a data warehouse and you have a lot of data in your data warehouse, that's really an asset that you you have. It's probably not on your balance sheet stated as an asset, but if you can figure out how to in a privacy protected way and and protecting of the competitive insights that are in there and all the other stuff. If you can get some kind of monetary return off that asset, eventually probably decide to do that versus not do it. But to do that, it has to be relatively like the marketplace and the exchanging and pricing of that requires some amount of sophistication. So do you envision a day when everyone turns their data warehouse inside out and makes it available maybe at some price for others to consume via these cloud-based multi-tenant exchanges? I think there's a lot of interest in that concept. Like I've been talking to some very large companies and they have been treating their data warehouse as a cost center for 25 years now. And But they're starting to realize that there's value in, in the data. And of course, they have tons of concerns about privacy and regulatory. But then even beyond that, which obviously no questions you have to comply with, but even beyond that, there's questions about, well, if I make this data available to somebody, will my competitor somehow get their hands on it? Will that give them a advantage against me and then so you start to be interested in like who exactly is getting access to this and then you start to care about like what exactly they're doing with it and then you figure out how to price it so all these things just like add so much thought complexity that most companies have done nothing there's just so many reasons not to think about it they've done nothing but at the you know the highest levels of most companies they realize they are sitting on a vast data asset and i think there is extreme interest in turning that into at least neutralizing the cost of the data infrastructure and that's supporting it, uh, making your data warehouse at least cost neutral. And that maybe that's an easier initial goal than it is to 
try to drive, you know, entirely faster new streams of revenue. Right, right. All right. Well, we're probably jumping way ahead here. Maybe we should just look at the existing data providers because there's plenty of them out there, you know, going from the axioms of the world. Do you expect all of those folks to kind of jump on these, I won't say public data market, data exchanges <laughs> or, or not? I know you're busy trying to recruit folks like that to participate. How is that going? Yeah, I think like any kind of new thing, the earlier adopters are the smaller and more more nimble, uh, newer companies. I think the older companies that like have been monetizing data for 50, 100 years, literally in some cases, they are rapidly adopting the cloud data fabric. So many of them are great Snowflake customers or they're evaluating Snowflake or becoming Snowflake customers or customers of other cloud data uh, systems. So I think it's not that they're like staying on premises forever. They are moving to the cloud, but... If your whole company is dependent on a stream of revenue that based on packages that you price and deliver to hundreds or thousands of customers, like you're, you're going to be a little bit careful trying new things too fast that could disrupt your cash flow. It's classic innovator's dilemma because there's nothing though stopping some startup from starting up and finding an alternative signal of the same information and then bringing it to market through all the latest, greatest data marketplaces, data exchanges. So um, I think I think the bigger data providers are, are really interested in this. They're big adopters now of the cloud data fabrics. And I think they're very carefully looking at these data marketplaces and data exchanges that are emerging and thinking about like, what is their real position long-term? Should they try to have their own data store and, and have all their customers come to their own private data store? Or should they participate in these larger, more public ones? Um, and it kind of depends on the industry in a lot of cases as well. Maybe what works for financial services is very sure. different than what will work in. in uh, and I suppose that they might be doing both in the same at the same time, right? They might have their own cloud-based exchange and participate on uh, other cloud platform exchanges, including Snowflake. Yeah, I think so. I think there's little reason why they, they wouldn't. If you have a product and you can prevent, you know, counterfeiting of your product and have trust in your product, it's legitimacy. Like you generally would want it in as many stores as, as possible. So uh, there's little reason to only sell your data in one place and as long as you trust the platform and people trust the, the data source. At that so point. who are going to be the, the big players in this space, the big exchanges or marketplaces, in your opinion, other than Snowflake, of course, but uh, I assume you, you, you recognize that you're going to have some big competitors. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Like over the last ten years, there have been a bunch of startups who've attempted to build data marketplaces as kind of new third parties. And then in the last two or a half years, there's been a bunch of uh, blockchain kind of crypto coin attempts at building uh, data exchanges. Uh, many of which kind of fizzled after the Bitcoin crash. But that technical approach is is interesting. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, like. It really, you know, the data, the data is going to live in, in the big, large cloud platforms. And right now in the U.S., at least that's Amazon, Google and, and Microsoft. You know, all, all three of those companies have, know how to sell things to people. All of them are building very strong business to business, you know, sales forces. So I would, I would imagine we've already seen evidence of many of those players be interested in, in helping sell data. Some of them have been launched things also called data exchanges recently. So yeah, I think it's going to be the anyone who's who's running a large cloud data fabric be a obvious place to uh, try to build a, a data so exchange. So that, that puts Snowflake in an interesting competitive position because you you're going to offer one of these exchanges, but you're offering it through a, a, a public cloud platform that's also also offering its own exchange. Uh, so there's got to be some point of differentiation there for you guys. And it's probably the fact that you guys yeah. and your customers can exchange information and data across those cloud platforms. You're not bound by one. 
Yeah, that's, a, that's certainly a key aspect. Many of our customers are very interested in, in having a data platform that runs across multiple cloud platforms. Oftentimes they've acquired companies or that are not, you know, have, a, have their data on a different cloud platform. So they're already in a multi-cloud data warehouse situation already. And then as people in large, as companies start to think about not just like publicly selling and exchanging data, but just even within their, the walls of their company, their subsidiaries, or the, within their partner and customer ecosystems, there's a lot of good reasons to kind of have all your supply chain partners, for example, on the same private walled garden data fabric. And that's another area that uh, we've recently uh, announced is that we're bringing to market a Snowflake private data exchange, which is the same technology that we have built for our public data exchange, but allows our customers to uh, run their own private walled garden data exchange, kind of like a sandbox where they can invite only the people they want and they can control what data sets are in there and who has access internally to those data sets. And uh, that's based on direct feedback from our customers. They, when they saw our announcement around the public data exchange in June of, of 2019, uh, we got strong feedback from many of them that they, they really liked that concept and that they wanted a, a private version of it that they could have their brand on and that they could, they could control um, and that they could use as a private place to exchange data with their, their partners, customers, suppliers, and internal Very departments. interesting. Uh, last question here. I heard you speak about the data exchange a while ago, and you encouraged uh, the people in the audience to go out uh, like the old gold miners of 1849 and go stake their, their claim to some data and put it up on exchange and make money. Uh, it, it Was that yeah. uh, you know tongue-in-cheek kind of in encouragement or, uh, or not? Well, I, I, we, were, we were together in Edmonton, Canada, and we were sitting in a, a technical university there that reminded me very strongly of the one I went to as a, as a young person. Um, and I had literally just driven from Calgary up to Edmonton through basically three hours of uh, parking lots of uh, drilling equipment, which was literally just sitting by the side of the road. So pretty much everybody in that northern Alberta area are, are very, very aware of, uh, of, of commodities and the fact that we can get them out of the ground or out of places and and turn them into uh, valuable things. So, uh, and that, that building we were in was full of students, many of whom were, uh, were studying uh, data and, and computer stuff. So yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for people who are, who are motivated to go stake a claim to some, some data. I think there's lots of companies out there that, you know, just like you can sell in Manhattan, you can sell air rights to your, your building. Uh, to another company, if you want another building, you could probably go find lots of companies that might be willing to sell you their their data rights to some extent. Like if you can help them take their data and respecting the rules that they you know have to comply with in terms of regulation and the ones that they they want to comply with in terms of privacy and and other very important things. If you can kind of take that data and de-identify it and aggregate it, bring it up to the right kind of level, and then protect it and take it to market. I think there's there's lots of data sets out there that companies are sitting on top of. That if there's a, a group of people who want to start start a company in an, in an industry or, or even just to do this, like as consultants even, I think there's huge opportunities. So yeah, no, I, I wasn't joking. I think uh, I think it's always going to be somebody's, uh, you know, when the, the gold rush, it was the individual prospectors running around staking claims. It wasn't massive multinational corporations as the first movers. So I think the first movers in some of this space um, working together with the big companies that, that are sitting on top of and carefully, appropriately carefully controlling the asset, I think there's opportunity for those kind of folks to work together. to, to Very get some value. interesting. So we've entered the wild west of data. <laughs> it's terrific. 
Well, you don't want to go too wild on your, on your wild west of data because uh, you know every everybody is uh, is concerned about customer privacy, respecting regulation, um, and even way beyond that. Just like where is this data going? Who's who's accessing it? And just know being able to have traceability and governance and control and being able to know where your data is gone. Like that's another big benefit of doing it on a on a cloud data platform. Is you're not just sending out copies that could go anywhere. You're kind of bringing the the questions to to your copy of the data, which gives you as an owner of data a lot more visibility and a lot more control and a lot more auditability and traceability and provability around what you're doing and what other people are doing with your data. So I think reversing that kind of data direction paradigm. Uh, so people can query the, your data uh, from their compute, but can they also download it, or is is there a way to restrict that? Yeah, and the way we all crafted the BI industry requires generally the ability to do a select star from a BI tool, which of course, once a BI tool has done a select star through an ODBC driver, like that computer, is nothing stopping that computer from writing it to a file. So in the normal BI, you know, in SQL pattern, you share access to run select statements against data, and you open that up to tools that can write files, therefore opening up the door to having somebody run a select statement and running a file, which is the point you're bringing up. So one of the things that you can uniquely do on a multi-tenant cloud data platform is you can share not just uh, the ability to run select statements, but you can share the ability to run more specific analyses, or we call them user-defined functions. So instead of sharing uh, access to run any ad hoc analysis against an underlying data structure, you could share a suite of effectively functions that kind of lock down to maybe the 10 or 20 most interesting questions that somebody might want to ask against the data. And then those functions can access, can run across raw data, but without actually providing the other party the ability to see the raw data or even the structure of it or even the, the logic behind the function. So that is one area that we uh, are really uh, talking to companies about is using those kind of secure functions, which are callable from SQL and callable from all the BI tools and all the machine learning tools that we're used to using, is using that as a way to, to allow people to ask questions against data. And uh, there's a blog I wrote about so that, it sounds which like has you can still details. query the data and still maybe download it, but it's going to be aggregated and highly filtered. So you're only getting what you really want and trust the querier to use. That you can do with what's called a secure view, which can aggregate and filter. What I'm describing in addition is a secure function where you say, I want somebody to run this particular piece of logic against all my raw data, not just aggregated data, but against raw data but I only want them to be able to get this kind of answer. Like I want to let somebody run an analysis to know how many different items sold with the product I'm selling and what is the average price of those items, but not know the names of the items, for example. And to run that, like you'd have to normally give somebody access to all your raw data and therefore they could point a tool at it and download it. But if you give them just a function call through SQL that can answer that specific question, you can constrain the not only the questions they can ask, which is useful, you could even price those questions differently, maybe, uh, but you can definitely prevent the underlying data from even being seen, or exposed, downloaded, or, or even somebody knowing what, what's the structure of it is. Yeah, kind of pushing the edges. And I think a lot of this is what leads to the ability to do that secure monetization of data is not just selling files or, or even the ability to run arbitrary questions, but being able to price and constrain certain kinds of questions differently from others, and then really be very careful about how many times those questions are being asked and, and what right so theoretically you know a company could create a function for customer retention or customer loyalty if they wanted and then someone could use that function and understand what that customer or company's loyalty or retention scores were without seeing any of their underlying data 
uh, and then marry that or compare that to other companies who've exposed that same function. Yeah, that or maybe you only be able to ask the question about an example company, but then you get back like the their five similar companies averaged together. Um, so even though the provider of that data has company level you know, NPS scores or whatever it is, maybe they only let you ask a question that the answer of which is going to be a minimum of five companies mm-hmm. averaged together. So um, there's lots of very interesting ways you can allow people to ask the questions that are valuable to them, but also protect the the underlying raw data from being extracted or, or copied. And that we're just kind of beginning to scratch the well, surface. Well, that's what it sounds like. There. So, uh, you know, as we enter 2020, I, I think we'll start digging in literally into these new golden eyes yeah. and to see what they can uh, surface and yield for us. So, Justin, thank you so much for being on the show. Very interesting and illuminating for our audience. Great. Thanks so much, Wayne. Good to chat with you again and see you soon. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.